That's it. That was your cue. What was my cue? That right there. You're supposed to say, Masterpiece Audio Theatre Presents. Masterpiece Audio Theatre Presents. That's right. Then you say, Myths from Around the World. Myths from Around the World. Okay, and a stranded in the middle of nowhere podcast. A stranded in the middle of nowhere podcast? Well, where are we? How are we going to get home? I'm going to get scared. Everything will be all right, trust me. This is a continuation from the Dog Days of Podcasting 2022. Hello and welcome to Masterpiece Audio Theatre. I am your host, Sir Hector Stewart. Please, join us by the fire, grab your favourite stool, nuzzle up with your blankets as you can sit down and listen to part two of A Christmas Carol. For a quick recap, in part one, we met our main character, Scrooge, and we met his nephew. In part two, Scrooge deals with some unwanted guests. This is the second episode in the Dog Days of Advent for 2022. This lunatic, in letting Scrooge's nephew out, had let two other people in. They were portly gentlemen, pleasant to behold, and now stood with their hats off in Scrooge's office. They had books and papers in their hands and bowed to him. Scrooge on Marley's, I believe, said one of the gentlemen referring to his list. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Master Marley has been dead these seven years, Scrooge replied. He died seven years ago, this very night. We have no doubt his liberty is well represented by his surviving partner, said the gentleman presenting his credentials. It certainly was, for they had been two kindred spirits. At the ominous word liberality, Scrooge frowned and shook his head and handed the credentials back. At this festive season of the year, Monsieur Scrooge, said the gentleman, taking up a pen. It is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provisions for the poor and destitute, who suffer greatly at the present time. Many of thousands are in want of common necessities. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts, sir. Are there no presents? asked Scrooge. Plenty of prisons, said the gentleman, laying down the pen again. And the union workhouses, demanded Scrooge. Are they still in operation? They are still, returned the gentleman. I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigour, then, said Scrooge. Both very busy, sir. Oh! I was afraid, from what you'd said at first, that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course, said Scrooge. I am very glad to hear it. Under the impression that they are scarcely furnished Christian share of man or body to the multitude, returned the gentleman, a few of us are endeavouring to raise the funds to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. 
We choose this time because it is the time of all others when the want is keenly felt and abundance rejoice. What shall I put you down for? Nothing, Scrooge replied. You wish to be anonymous. I wish to be left alone, said Scrooge. Since you ask me what I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't make myself merry at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. They cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather die. If they would rather die, said Scrooge, then they'd better do it and decrease the surplus of the population. Besides, excuse me, I don't know that. But you may know it, uh, observed the gentleman. It's not my business, Scrooge returned. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Seeing clearly that it would be useless to pursue their point, the gentleman withdrew. Scrooge resumed his labours with an improved opinion of himself, and in a more facetious temper than was usual with him. Meanwhile, the fog and the darkness thickened so that people ran about with flaring links, proffering their services to go before horses and carriages and conduct them on their way. The ancient tower of a church, whose bell was always peeping slyly down at Scrooge out of a gothic window in the wall, became invisible and struck the hours and the quarters in the clouds with the tremulous vibrations afterwards as if its teeth were chattering in its frozen head up there. The cold became intense. In the main street, at the corner of the court, some labourers were repairing the gas pipes and had lighted a great fire in a brazier, round which a party of ragged men and boys were gathered, warming their hands and winking their eyes before the blaze and rapture. The water plug being left in solitude, its overflowing suddenly congealed and turned into misanthropic ice. The brightness of the shops, where the holly sprigs and berries crackled in the lamp heat of the windows, made pale faces ruddy as they passed. Poulters' and grocers' trades became a splendid joke, a glorious pageant with which it was next to impossible to believe that such dull principles as bargains and sales had anything to do. The Lord Mayor, in the stronghold of the mighty mansion house, gave orders to his fifty cooks and butlers to keep Christmas as Lord Mayor's house should, and even the little tailor, whom he had fined five shillings on that previous Monday for being drunk and bloodthirsty in the streets, stirred up tomorrow's pudding in his garret, while his lean wife and baby sallied out to buy the beef. Foggier yet and colder, piercing, searching, biting cold, if the good Saint Dustin had but nipped the evil spirit's nose with a touch of such weather as that, instead of using his familiar weapons, then indeed he would have roared to lusty purpose. The owner of one scant young nose, gnawed and mumbled by the hungry cold as the bones are gnawed by a dog, stooped down at Scrooge's keyhole and regaled him with a Christmas carol. But at the first sound of... God bless you, merry gentlemen, may nothing you dismay. Scrooge seized the ruler with such energy of action that the singer fled in terror, leaving the keyhole to the fog and even more congenial frost. At length the hour of shutting up the counting-house arrived. 
with an ill will, Scrooge dismounted from his stool and tacitly admitted the fact to the expectant clerk in the tank, who instantly snuffed his candle out and put on his hat. You'll want all day tomorrow, I suppose, said Scrooge. If quite convenient, sir. That's not convenient, said Scrooge. And it's not fair. If I was to stop half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used. I'll be bound. The clerk smiled faintly. And yet, said Scrooge, you don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work. The clerk observed that it was only once a year. A poor excuse for packing a man's pocket every 25th of December said Scrooge, buttoning his greatcoat to the chin. But I suppose you must have the whole day. Be here all the earlier next morning. The clerk promised that he would, and Scrooge walked out with a growl. The office was closed in a twinkling, and the clerk, with the long ends of his white comforter dangling below his waist, for he boasted no great coat, went down a slide on Cornhill, at the end of a lane of boys twenty times, in honour of its being Christmas Eve, and then ran home to Camden Town, as hard as he could pelt, to play at Blind Man's Bluff. Scrooge took his usual melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern. And, having read all the newspapers and beguiled the rest of the evening with his banker's book, went home to bed. He lived in chambers which had once belonged to his deceased partner. They were a gloomy suite of rooms in a low pile of building up a yard, where it had so little business to be that one could scarcely help fancying it must have run there when it was a young house, playing at hide-and-seek with other houses, and have forgotten its way out again. It was old enough now and dreary enough, for nobody lived in it but Scrooge, the other rooms being all let out as offices. The yard was so dark that even Scrooge, who knew its every stone, was fain to grope with his hands. The fog and frost so hung about the black old gateway of the house that it seemed as if the genius of the weather sat in mournful meditation on its threshold. Now, it is a fact that there was nothing at all peculiar about the knocker on the door except that it was very large. It is also a fact that Scrooge had seen it night and morning during his whole residence in that place. Also, that Scrooge had as a little of what is called a fancy about him as any man in the City of London, even including, which is a bold word, the corporation, alderman and livery. Let it also be borne in mind that Scrooge had not bestowed one thought on Marley since his last mention of his seven years dead partner that afternoon. And let any man explain to me, if he can, how it happened that Scrooge, having his key in the lock of the door, saw in the knocker, without its undergoing any intermediate process of change, not a knocker, but Marley's face. Marley's face. It was not an impenetrable shadow, as the other objects in the yard were, but it had a dismal light about it, like a bad lobster in a dark cellar. It was not angry or ferocious, but it looked at Scrooge as Marley used to look, with its ghostly spectacles turned up on its ghostly forehead. The hair was curiously stirred, as if by breath of hot air, and though the eyes were wide open, they were perfectly motionless. That, in its livid colour, made it horrible, but the horror seemed to be in spite of the face, and beyond its control, rather than a part of its own expression. As Scrooge looked fixedly at this phenomenon, it was a knocker again. 
to say that he was not startled, or that his blood was not conscious of a terrible sensation to which it had been a stranger from infancy would be untrue. But he put his hand upon the key he had relinquished, turned it sturdily, and walked in, and lighted his candle. He did pause, with a moment's irresolution, before he shut the door, and he did look cautiously behind it first, as if he half expected to be terrified with the sight of Marley's pigtail sticking out into the hall. But there was nothing on the back of the door except the screws and the nuts that held the knocker on. So he said, Pooh-pooh! and closed it with a bang. The sound resounded through the house like thunder. Every room above and every cask in the wine merchant cellars below appeared to have a separate peal of echoes of its own. Scrooge was not a man to be frightened by echoes. He fastened the door and walked across the hall and up the stairs slowly, too, trimming his candle as he went. You may talk vaguely about driving a coach and six up a good old flight of stairs or through a bad young act of Parliament, but I mean to say you might have got a hearse up that staircase and taken it broadwise with the splinter bar towards the wall and the door towards the balustrades and done it easily. There was plenty of width for that and room to spare, which is perhaps the reason why Scrooge thought he saw a locomotive hearse going on before him into the gloom. Half a dozen gas lamps out of the street wouldn't have lighted the entry too well, so you may suppose that it was pretty dark with Scrooge's dip. Up Scrooge went, not caring a button for that. Darkness is cheap, and Scrooge liked it. But before he shut his heavy door, he walked through his rooms to see that all was right. Listening to Empath Studios' presentation of the Myths from Around the World, a special Dog Days of Podcasting contribution. Sound clips are from GarageBand and can be found in their samples library. The stories that we have shared can be found at Gutenberg.org. We can be found on Facebook on the Masterpiece Audio Theatre page, on Nimlas.org, or you can email us at j at jglangjans.com. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 unported license. Thanks for joining us.